Read Isaiah chapter 11. Now this is going to be our last, cha- our last sermon out of Isaiah. We're going to preach one sermon at the beginning of the year. Y'all know I like to do a, a, a kickoff sermon or a, a vision casting sermon. Just think of a fancy name for it. We're going to preach a sermon on Ezekiel 34, kind of outline the vision of our church next year. Because where we're at now cannot and will not, by the Lord's grace, be where we, the same place we will be at the end of next year. That make, We're going to be somewhere different. Let's go for that. Uh, so we're going to preach a sermon, just kind of where the church is going. And then we're going to spend the next, I think, 15 weeks in uh, Exodus chapter 1 through chapter 20. So we're going to take it in some pretty broad brushstrokes. But we're going to be in Exodus for a little while next year. But we're here in Isaiah chapter 11 today. And let's just say 2020 has taken something from us. It has taken our hope. And I want us to keep that in mind as we pray and we read Isaiah chapter 11. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you have given us your word. And yet now we ask for your spirit. I'm reminded of many others who said that without your spirit, we hold your word like a blind man holds a beautiful book. We need your spirit to open our eyes. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Father, I pray that you would strengthen me as I read and preach from your word, that I may be found faithful for the calling of which you have called me. Father, I ask these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, 
Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnants of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel from, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and, his, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and will lead the people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains for his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. There's one thing that many of us have not done this year, and that's take a vacation. 2020 has not been the year for vacations. But the truth of the matter is that God is taking us somewhere, that the wheels of time are always spinning. They're always moving forward. And you might not know this, but God has an affinity toward mountains. All the action in the Bible happens around mountains. And don't we instinctively know that? Good things always come from the mountain top. Dolly Parton once struck gold singing about the mountains. She sang, In my Tennessee mountain home, life is as peaceful as a baby's sigh. In my Tennessee mountain home, crickets sing, in the field nearby. When we look at the mountains, we have a sense of permanence and peace. Really, sense is a little foggy. I think the better term would be we have a pang of permanence and peace because permanence and peace like a baby's sigh is something we do not have. For every joyous song of the mountain, there's an equally sobering song of the valley. David wrote songs of the valley. In the valley of the shadow of death. I think he hit it, the nose on the head, didn't he? You know, they say in preaching, you shouldn't shoot ducks right overhead, but you should wait till they get in front of you. But I think 2020 might be in front of us enough for me to say that it has been the pits. It has not been life on the mountain. It has been life in the valley. Uh, if you look at the top three new words of this year, number one is COVID. Number two is the before times. That's the phrase you use when you talk about life before COVID. And we talk about 2019 like old men talk about the good old days. The third most popular word is blurs day. That's when you can't tell what day of the week it is because you haven't left your house any. What day is it? 
It's Blur's Day. We've lost our sense of time. We talk about a vaccine like men talked about the discovery of fire. Men who had forgotten what the warmth of sunshine felt like kissing them on the foreheads. We have been crushed and quarantined, alienated and exiled. We have lost our sense of tradition. We have lost our sense of time. We have lost our sense of hope. We have gotten used to living in the valley. We have stopped keeping our eyes on the mountain. But if we want real hope this morning, if we want an idea of heaven and the hope awaits us, it doesn't begin by envisioning life in the valley. It begins by looking at the mountains. As I said earlier, all the good stuff happens on the mountains. Now here's a, 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 a maxim, a principle that will help you when you read the Bible. What we believe about the beginning will define what we believe about the end. What we believe about the beginning will shape what we believe about the end. Now, what do we see in the beginning? God rested Adam in Eden, and Eden was on top of a mountain. Four rivers flowed from it that watered all of creation. And when he looked in that mountain, what did you find? Life was as peaceful as a baby's sigh. The wolf laid with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the cow and the bear grazed, and the lion ate grass with the oxen. Where we only know the sound of creation sighing, they knew the sound of the crickets singing in the fields nearby. And to top it all off, God walked to and fro among Eden. It was life as peaceful as a baby's sigh. The location of Eden shouldn't be shocking to us because there's always a danger in the valley. After our caroling uh, on Sunday night, someone pointed out to me something I never realized. Raymond, Yazoo, and a lot of these other towns are bluff towns. And men would live in those towns and they would ride down into the valley. Now, why would they do that? Well, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? What happens in the valley? Well, if the mosquitoes don't carry you off, the floods will. Bad things happen down in the valley. And isn't that always the case? Just read the Bible. Sin removes you from the mountain. Adam's sin removed him from the garden and placed him in the thicket. The road away from God is always downhill into the valley. In the valley, the sin of jealousy would overtake Cain and murder would overtake Abel. Lamech would be consumed with abuse toward his many wives. He would kill men for minor offenses. There would be no justice, no equity, no meekness. There would only be danger in the valley. There was once an array of beautiful houses built in a bay. And a man stood atop a cliff and looked down at these houses just enamored. Big, beautiful houses set on the beachfront. And behind, so in front you have the beautiful ocean. And behind them you have these craggy cliffs 
where they were nestled far below all the riffraff above. It's beautiful. Well, 30 years later, that same man came back, and the waves slowly eroded the entirety of the beach. The beach was gone, the houses were abandoned, and the lives were destroyed. There was no peace in the valley. This is how life works. As we stay in the valley, day by day, week by week, month by month, our life is consumed. You know, when Cain left for Nod, I highly doubt Cain said, You know, I hope when my children grow up, they're womanizers and murderers. No parent says that. And yet that's what happens. We, when we live in the valley, we cast away the things most important for us. We have let our marriages hit rock bottom and have been content to keep them there. We have let our children run amok, destroying their lives and our own, and we say nothing. We let our lives become dominated by worldly goals and comforts because we have become complacent. Living in the valley. But do you know what happens in the valley? If the sin doesn't kill you, the flood will. The valley of Genesis was washed clean by a flood of judgment. And God set his people, God set Noah in an ark atop Mount Arat. You see the trend here. Sin brings you off the mountain Judgment brings you up. There's only two options for us this morning. And when Noah was atop the mountain, guess who was with him? Wolves and lambs, leopards and goats, cows and bears, lion and oxen. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sin brings you off the mountain. Judgment brings you up. Peace, like a baby sigh, only follows judgment. But life in the valley is much more than sin and revelry. You know, there's more than simply parties going on in the valley. There's a life in the valley that says, just deal with it. This is the way it has always been, and this is the way it always will be. How many of us have asked if COVID will simply be our way of life going forward? Many of us have. How many women have stayed in abusive relationships, men in dead-end jobs, because they've said, I'm hopeless, I'm a lost cause, this is the way life is, just deal with it. The problem is that we praise that mentality. But it's a mentality completely devoid of faith. Don't you know that there are men who are very strong-willed, men full of courage, men full of tenacity, that can deal with a multitude of problems? And we look at them and say, look at that godly man, enduring suffering and affliction in his life. And yet not once did that man look to Christ. Men in that situation think the way of living is by Hank Williams Jr.'s a country boy can survive. But the way of surviving in the valley is by singing the hymn, I surrender all. It's not simply dealing with life in the valley. 
It's looking to the mountain. I remember years ago, I went to Haiti after the earthquake struck. And as we're driving through the city, there's this just god-awful smell. I've got Bath and Body Works hand sanitizer, putting it in my nose to fight the smell. But as I look around, nobody else, none of the Haitians are doing it. Because they're used to it. The smell was coming from something called Tent City. And as you can imagine, Tent City is a city built of tents. Hundreds of tents. Unfortunately, these tents were on top, were on a hillside. No bathrooms, no porta potty, no outhouses, no plumbing. You read between the lines. If you lived on the top of the hill, it wasn't as bad. But the lower into the valley you lived, the worse it was. And they lived in a, in a perpetual filth, in a perpetual sense of hopelessness. They had learned to deal with life in the valley. We see the same hopelessness in Moses. God appears to Moses and Moses, he says, Moses, go into the valley, get my people out of slavery and squalor. And Moses says, are you talking to me? And God says, yes, go. And to prove that I'm with you, you will come back and you will worship on this mountain. We're going from the valley to the mountain. Moses goes down into the valley. Says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do but just multiply the agony? And the Israelites look at Moses, Moses and they say, Hey, we were, we were just fine until you showed up. Things have only gotten worse. They had learned to live in the valley. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? You can only leave the valley through judgment. And God used the Red Sea to wash Pharaoh and his valley clean. And God kept his promise. He brought them to the mountain. He formed them into a new people, gave them new laws, gave them promises. He would walk to and fro with them just like before. All they had to do was keep their eyes on the mountain. Easier said than done, isn't it? Moses goes up the mountain. Israel goes down into the valley. They make the golden calves. There's sin. There's revelry. There's idolatry. And what does that look like? You know, that pattern continued throughout Israel's existence. Well, first it started with prosperity. Then it started with wicked rulers who led them away from God, fed them comforts, showed them that it's okay to just deal with it. And then God exiled them. And we find ourselves at our passage this morning. Israel is facing exile. And where does Isaiah look? We see it in verse 9. He looks to God's holy mountain where he will draw all men to himself where he will raise a signal and knowledge of him will cover the world like water covers the sea. But we should know the story by now. There's only one way out of the valley. That's judgment. It was the same for Noah. It was the same for Israel. And it's the same for us. We see this in Mary Hamilton. Mary Hamilton was one of the first white settlers in Mississippi. Interesting book. She dealt with panthers, 
wolves, hunger, yellow fever, but the scariest was flooding. One year the Mississippi flooded and her husband went to look for help. But before he left, he sat her on top of a tree stump. This tree stump was about six foot high and four foot wide. They had some pretty big trees back then. And he left to get help. And as they sat there, the water rose. The water rose. And the water was lapping the bottom of her feet. And as her and her two young children looked out, they saw rabbits and rats, snakes and bears swimming by them, seeking higher ground. And as she looked around, there were trees larger than any trees here, swaying in the torrents of the water. And she prayed that the trees would fall and crush them. And sure enough, the tree fell. And she cursed God as the cold water splashed upon them. The tree had missed. Now the water wasn't touching her feet. The water was touching the bottom of her chair. Within an hour, she knew they would be dead. And she prayed that her children would die first. That she would be able to care for them until the end. She takes the youngest, the the oldest, who was four or five at the time, and she begins to prepare them for the death that is coming. And the child looks at her and says, Mama, why don't you pray to God? And she says, Baby, I can't. God has forgotten us. That is the word of a woman who has learned to just deal with it. Her strength, her courage, her tenacity has left. But to encourage her young daughter, she says, how about you pray? And the little girl does, and she says, dear God, mommy thinks you have forgotten us because she is so scared. And sure enough, moments later, here comes Frank, her husband, in a boat coming to save them. And she spots him coming over the watery horizon. In the same way, we have built our lives on many stumps, but we are still in the valley. But as we look across the watery horizon, what do we see? We see a sprout from the stump of Jesse coming out of the Jordan. One who had the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. His delight was to do God's will. And that delight led him to cry out, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my agony until it is accomplished. Jesus was referring to his cross, to his coming death. And yet in his agony, he kept his eye on the mountain. He preached the world's best sermon from atop a mountain. He was transfigured on top of a mountain. He was betrayed on top of a mountain. And one day he would ascend from the valley. And he would go up a mountain, atop Mount Calvary. And everything, the flood of Noah, 
Everything the flood of Pharaoh foreshadowed, Christ bore in its entirety. Christ would stand atop Mount Calvary as a signal to the nations, bearing the entirety of God's wrath, that we may drink freely from God's mercy. The signal has been raised. He is calling us to the mountain. That means a judgment is coming. We may find pleasure. We may find complacency. We may just deal with being in the valley. But there's one thing we will never find in the valley. That is mercy. Mercy flows freely only from Mount Calvary. The waters which once flowed from Eden now flow from Mount Calvary to water a new creation. And now that Jesus is ascended on high, the one who was baptized with God's wrath now baptizes us by his Holy Spirit. The jealousy that, Israel, that Isaiah saw between Judah and Ephraim, Jesus has abolished as he has brought Jew and Samaritan together by his Holy Spirit. He has drawn all men together as he has drawn us by his Spirit. And as he did with Noah, making a new creation, as he did with Israel, making a new people, Today, by His Spirit, He makes us a new people, a new creation, a people for His own possession. But it begins by stopping and keeping our eyes on the mountain. As we look to 2021, oh, how hard we look to 2021. 2021 will have no more permanence and peace than 2020. It will lack a life as peaceful as a baby's sigh. We will continue to ask, how long can I live this way? How long until I can embrace my family? How long will I wrestle against sin and Satan alone? Will dry skin and a broken heart be the rest of my existence? And yet, Jesus tells us today, keep your eyes on the mountain. Isaiah in chapter 2 will say that on that mountain we will beat our, plow, our swords into plowshares. If we may paraphrase that today, on God's holy mountain, mask and mayhem will be no more. There is a world of unrest. The unrest of many waters flowing through this world, flowing through this church, and flowing through our hearts. The last thing we should do is stop coming to the mountain. We are pilgrims in this world. We are not made to live in the valley. So as we close, I pray you keep your eyes fixed in the same place that Paul does in Colossians 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Keep your eyes on the mountain. We will see John in the book of Revelation looking out from the mountain. He will look into the valley. He will see drunks, thieves, idolaters, the sexually deviant, and other sinners cursing God. But he will look up and he will see a new heaven and a new earth where the wolf and the lamb 
the leopard and the goat, the cow and the bear, the lion and the oxen lie together. Where prayers are answered before they're spoken, where the aged do not grow old, where our children are not hurt, and God walk to and fro in their midst. The work that God has started in our hearts will be diffused throughout this barren wilderness. The size of creation will be exchanged for the size like a peaceful baby and crickets singing in the field. Between here and there, we must not become complacent in the valley. We must keep our eyes on the mountain. Let us pray. Gracious Father, of all things that we are subject to in this season of life, there is no more than despondency. But you have given us a hope that is undefiled, unfading, guarded in heaven for us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd pour out your Spirit, that we would keep our eyes on this great hope before us. That each step we take, each decision we make, each breath we breathe, everything of our life will be directed to the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask these things in your Son's name.